Hey, it's Jim again from the Camp Drinkwater podcast, and I'm joined this week, as I am every week, with our co-hostess with the mostess, Nicole. What's going on? Oh, I've got nothing. I It's been super hot here, and I'm not excited about that. And I think my door, my ring doorbell is going bad on me. I've had it for like four years. Have you ever had it where we had it set up fine? And it like it used to be super sensitive. And so it would catch every car that went by. And so after a lot of trial and error, we got it adjusted. So it would only pick up, you know, what actually happens at the front door. And it worked fine for years. But now all of a sudden it is going off like constantly. And when I go and look at the little recordings, all I get is like this blur of something like a bird or something flew in front of it, but it never used to pick up anything like that. Do you, is that something that's ever happened to you? No, it sounds like uh, it's just your sensitivity settings on your app. I would just go in and turn it way down, see what happens. But also, did I miss it? Did uh, this little podcast that could blow up, are we getting a ring uh, sponsorship? Is that why uh, (laughs) (laughs) you're bringing them up? Because I want some of that sweet ass uh, ring Ring doorbell money. 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 Yes. um, To my knowledge, ring doorbell has not come knocking. No pun intended. But um, uh, yeah, I would take some sweet ring money. I will sell out. Yes. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, uh, if you get it, then uh, we'll both retire. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> do do the, this podcast full-time or something. Speaking of, um, whatever the opposite of full-time is, that is kind of uh, what I'm doing with this podcast. You put together some really great stuff to talk about. And when I was looking at it this morning, you know, <laughs> the day that we recorded. <laughs> hey, you know what? That is better than last time when you didn't look at it at all. That that is very true. That is very true. So hey, we are moving in the right direction, and I'm I think pretty excited to talk today because I get to talk about all of the you know Satan worshippers all over Kansas City in the 1980s. At least if you were a kid that grew up in the 1980s, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, uh, they all drove blue vans and... White uh, vans. Oh, is it a white van? It was a blue van. Yeah, you're uh, a little bit older, so maybe, you know, the colors uh, changed on us. But, uh, yeah, it was a a creepy blue van. And, of course, that scary-ass place that nobody refused to go, um, you know, the Big Rip uh, Lake area, right? So... Yep, yep, yep. yep. I'm going to... Probably the easiest way is to get out of your way. So I'm going to tell my little urban legend about that spot. Okay. okay? Should we talk about um, just what satanic panic was first and then um, go into, you know, what you remember about it and all of the stories you heard? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just to kind of give people a reference of, you know, because nowadays that's not really a thing. Like nobody runs around thinking everybody in their neighbor is worshiping the devil and sacrificing virgins in their basement. I mean, I think there's some some of those folks still out there. Uh... Okay, well, this podcast is not for QAnon, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if uh, if you think kids are getting stolen to take adrenochrome out of their brains, then maybe don't follow us anymore. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think we're comfortable with that trade. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Okay, so uh, take out your black Bibles, uh, light your black candles, hang your pentagrams upside down, because Tracy's going to talk to us about the satanic panic. There we go. All right, so satanic panic uh, was the term dubbed for the hysteria that um, really began in the late 70s. It became more prominent in the mid to late 80s, and it was the movement that really started... Uh, what Tipper Gore and um, her organization, the Parental Advisory Boards, mass banning of like everything under the sun. It started with two live crews banned in the USA in 1990, um, was kind of like the tipping point for when people started to realize that maybe things had gone a tad bit too far and we needed to kind of dial it back just a little bit on the crazy. So what it was is it was a time that everybody became convinced that but basically all crime and all people that were having trouble and anything bad was caused by devil worship. And a lot of times that devil worship would be um, encouraged or introduced to its, I guess, worshipers through video games, violent books and movies, rock and roll music, in particular, heavy metal, God forbid. And of course. yes, so uh, there was a lot of like playing records backwards and you'd become yeah, <laughs> you heard whatever in demon language or stuff. I don't know. It was so stupid. The first recognized beginning of the movement was the publication of a book called Michelle Remembers in 1980. It was written by a Canadian psychiatrist and his wife, Michelle, who was also his patient and the subject of the book. Yeah, a lot of, lot of red flags there. And... <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Uh, I, I have a feeling... Uh, the abuse uh, that is discussed in this book is maybe not the real abuse. I don't know. Um, Continue. Yeah. It, 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 oddly enough, things did not happen uh, the way that they were portrayed in the book. And Michelle made all kinds of just horrific claims of child abuse, torture, ritualistic ceremonies, murders, all these like rapes and orgies and just crazy shit. And it was all uh, memories that she supposedly recovered after working with her psychiatrist turned husband. And later, all of that was dispelled, that it was uh, part of that false memory recovery therapy that, you know, is now debunked is very problematic and dangerous. Pseudoscience, yeah, right. Yes. Uh, in that same time frame in 1983, the McMartin preschool trials, it, the hysteria was caused by these claims from another, uh, I believe this one was a sociologist or a, a child psychologist who had developed a way to help police interrogate children who had made claims of abuse or were um, suspected of being abused. The problem is that all of the questioning was really leading and confusing to the kids so half the time or more all in this particular case all of the time the kids made false claims kind of not on purpose they didn't really understand what they were being asked and they didn't give appropriate responses because they were kind of spoon-fed what they were supposed to say and do and it was terrible and then the media of course sensationalized the entire thing by only printing negative information 
never being critical of anything and most of their facts were taken directly from the prosecution with the defense never allowed to go on record it was really not great yeah and i think led to uh i mean it led to um, a culture of hysteria and one that managed to bleed it its way into quiet suburbia in kansas city missouri you know exactly so then that flashes us forward to 1988 and all of the stories of Camp Drinkwater. Because by that point, you were old enough, well, in my mind, you were old enough to take out and scare the shit out of, even if mom and dad probably weren't thrilled about it. Uh, but we my, were... my therapist said it all oh, began stop. there. Oh, stop. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a joke. That is not even... That is not funny. Uh, it began on a quiet and very dark evening oh, with uh, someone's older sister dragging him out to the edge of what was like left of uh, Big Rip Lake, right? And there wasn't much to it at all. Yeah. But you could see yeah. like old looking houses and all that kind of shit. And then, oh, ah, my car broke down. It won't start. <laughs> Whatever shall I do? Meanwhile, Eight-year-old uh, Jim is, like, shitting his pants in the back. And I bet you won't tell the end of that story and the for-real shit that happened that was kind of scary. What for-real shit? I don't remember anything for Was a car that followed us home. Oh, my. I mean, don't you think that was probably just somebody that lived in the neighborhood looking back with adult eyes? I mean, I can't look back at adult eyes because my therapist tells me I'm perpetually stuck as an eight-year-old oh now. Oh <laughs> okay, should we talk about, uh, you know, your little accident in the back seat? Speaking of shitting your pants. I didn't. Uh, you peed I your mean, pants. I probably, when that happened, yes. All that does, I think, is indict you even <laughs> worse, though. You scared me so bad an eight-year-old peed his pants. I was a great big sister. It, it was a, uh, I think, a foundational moment, though. Immediately from that, those kind of experiences, I like scary stuff and I like true crime. Hence why we're doing this podcast, you know? Like, it was, it was a meaningful moment. And I think legitimately helped me deal with that fear that we could, like, kind of sort of figure out what happened, at least know the details, so that we know it's not something scary and spooky and, you know, all that kind of jazz. It was probably just a fucking nutbag doing one nutbag thing. It's a lot easier for me to digest that, yes. you know? Absolutely. So see, there you go. It was like an early form of therapy. I gave you a way for your child mind to deal with your fear. Yes. Um, for the record, I would like it to be known, though, that I wouldn't have had that fear if somebody didn't fake their car <laughs> breaking down out by where devil worshippers were. Legitimately, I don't think they've ever found any devil worship stuff out that way, have they? Depends on who you ask. When I was a kid, um, and this was not something I ever told you before I dragged you out there because I knew you wouldn't go, but I went out there with my boyfriend and then there were a couple of people from my cheerleading squad and a couple of people from the basketball team. There were like eight of us, I think. And we all drove out there and we went into one of those abandoned buildings. And in the buildings, you know, there was like graffiti and the, you know, standard shit that you expect. But in one of them, there were some like weird shit painted on the wall. 
but you never you don't know was that just somebody that was playing a joke and thought it was funny because you know there were so so many rumors about it or was yeah there it were lots of sickos that real. made jokes about it yes yes and yes right. i'm well aware right. of them so i don't know supposedly uh if you go and you stand right in the well then if you did it then now there's nothing there it the big rep the brewing company exists there now but if you went and stood at the doorway of the nurse's cabin you would hear children screaming supposedly now uh i don't know which one was the nurse's cabin and i never stood there myself so i cannot attest to that so i don't really know what the deal was but i had friends who swore up and down that that was real and that they really heard it so i don't know freak me up and freak me out uh yeah um i mean outside of the kind of standard stuff um i heard that by where the lake was that there was a cave and the cave split off into two smaller ones and one of them it just looked like people had been living there and then the other was covered in blood and like had a bunch of old bones and like weird ruiny shit in it but that's like fourth and fifth grade you know <laughs> conjecture shit that you make up uh, at school to try to one-up one another you know right i think right. uh now, as an adult, probably the, the the reality of the situation is probably far scarier than some weird made up hoodoo voodoo fucking Satan worshiper shit, you know? Uh, I mean, in a lot of ways, yeah. And the information that I, I have uncovered is really pretty creepy. And knowing this now, it really kind of makes me panic that I did all those things going out. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I drove out there. And I only actually walked around the one time because it did freak me out. And I mean, I was a good girl. And so, you know, my parents told me not to go out there. I'm not going to go out there. But I, it didn't feel right. Something freaked me out. And now I, I'm just so glad I'm not dead because there is a lot of weird, spooky shit out there before the 13 murders, uh, you know, that really started the, the cursed, you know, camp idea and all of that. There were just basic stories about the people that owned camp before the Bloomsfield. Oh, I was going to say the rich fuckers. I mean, I could probably <laughs> them. They're rich, right? They were, <laughs> they're scary they were enough. super rich, but super weird. So, I mean, here you have these people that owned you know businesses all over town and had a buttload of money and owned that land and lived on that land but they had no electricity or running water that's fucking weird i mean uh, the water thing maybe less so it was what like what was the year what are we saying what year this was I uh, well, I mean, 1979 is when the murders happened and they owned the land. Uh, they owned the land until 1977. And but part of the reason they were so rich uh, was because they weren't paying tax on anything. And so probably so, that plays well. Yeah. yeah. So um, when the tax man came, uh, their kid who was the only Lister left. It was the Lister family that owned everything. He was 24 at the time, and he was kind of left holding the bag, and he lost everything. He lost all the businesses that 
he wasn't running or anything, but he was, you know, taking residual income from, and he lost the land because it was seized by the county, by Clay County. So he was forced off of it, but the rumor is that for a year before the Bloomsfields bought the land to make the camp, he continued to live there and nobody really did anything because, you know, it was, there was nobody that wanted the land. It was just laying vacant and the county wasn't doing anything with it. And so he just, he lived out there supposedly with this small little group of fellow weirdos. Um, and I found no last names uh, for these people, but there are a few first name mentions just in some random articles. There's a Mary, a Helen, a Jimmy, and a Stan. So there were at least five people counting Harold Lister out there. So like, could they be relatives? Are they friends? Like what's the, like in what context did you read them? It sounds like that they are, I'm kind of like, I don't know, young people looking for a commune type of situation as, you know, a lot of people were in the late 70s. So they had, they were like runaways or like, you know, high school or college dropouts looking for a different life. And so they hooked up with him who said, you know, come hang out on my land or whatever. And evidently he was quite a good looking guy and really like charismatic and charming, kind of a Charlie Manson type. Somehow convinced people to, you know, come live with him and that he was the second coming. All right. Well, yeah, that's a little weird. Um, I assume when they uh, all died off, like nobody, like nobody heard what happened to the rest of those people. When... Well, all the, just the one name people, you know, cause there's just the first name. So we have no way to track uh, any of them. Supposedly they, uh, some of the kids did odd jobs in town um, just for a little money or um, like they would, or, I mean, serve at a restaurant and then they would be able to take home leftovers uh, to the commune that, that night. I have not been able to find anybody to corroborate that. I don't know. I don't know what the story is about that, but supposedly, um, well, we'll come back to, to Harold here in a minute because the land, um, which kind of goes along with what you were saying with those two interconnected caves, supposedly there at the time that the land was seized from the Listers, but before the Bloomsfields owned it and converted it to a camp, there was a stone structure that was kind of crumbling, half fallen down, and underneath was where all these satanic things were supposed to have happened, and there was supposedly a stone altar down there, and this was why Harold didn't want to leave the area and why he continued to stay there even after it was seized by the county and after uh, the Bloomsfields came in and converted it to a camp. So on to Harold. This is where it gets super, super weird. So you have record of Harold being born. You have record of the Listers. I have records from Clay County uh, when the property was sold. I have 
um, maps of what it looked like before and after the camp purchase, but that's it. There are no marriage records. There's no death certificate for him, no legal documents of any kind. It's like he dropped off the face of the earth. If he owned or rented any property, paid taxes for anything to anybody for anything, or had children, he did all of it off of the grid and left no record at all. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little disconcerting. But also, in my mind, maybe he just moved to fucking England. Right? Maybe he was, or Mexico. Maybe he's like, I really like the beaches, man. There would still uh, be a passport. I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, I guess unless he but there's just, the, just uh, crossed the border, because back then you could just cross the border. So it doesn't say when he stopped living there, but we do know that he was living there. In 1979, yes. And he was 24 years old then. He would be 68 now so you know not that old like he could be still alive and i assume you, you've just done like a basic google search to see what comes i did a case search i did a google search i you know of course checked all social media um i also looked for uh tax records from the platte county and the clay county assessor because i thought you know i i don't remember what county lines were back then but maybe things were fudged one direction or the other um and so when that didn't hit anything then i did property searches for the entire united states and didn't find anything there so no cars or houses structures nothing like that um, and there are no birth records in the united states tied to a Harold Lister. So he could have had a kid, I guess, uh, but the kid took the mother's name and he was not listed on the birth certificate. But he could have also changed his name, too. Because, yeah. you know, it sounds like yeah. the Listers were fucking weirdos. So They were definitely, definitely weird. Um, and I guess they were rumored to be, like, super creepy, too. Because they lived out there, you know, in this non-traditional way of living and uh harold went to school only sporadically like he just i guess didn't i don't know i don't know why he didn't go to school they just he didn't go to school very often there was a lot of truancy reports that were listed out there uh and between 1950 and 1978 when the land was purchased to build the camp there were six unsolved murders or disappearances uh, in the area. And I did manage to track down a retired detective that did speak to me anonymously and off the record. And he was adamant that it be that. He said that the bodies that were found were partially intact and everyone thought that the Listers had something to do with it. Um, as the second body was found on the edge of their land on the banks of the lake the others were found off their land but all within a 10 mile radius of it. yeah uh also i thought off the record meant you weren't supposed to tell anybody that you just told all of the f podcast universe i thought off the record meant i just couldn't say that he told me but you did just say that he told me but i mean i couldn't say who he was to tell me oh well, tell oh me well then i think he would just say anonymously but regardless oh, what is now. the do you, do you think that you can get this guy to come on the podcast? Uh, no, there's no way. He was crabby and 
wanted nothing to do with me and I had to kind of just badger this guy to death until he very reluctantly agreed to talk to me. I think mostly I just wore him down because he just got so exhausted. I was calling constantly. I blew up his email and he just, I think, eventually just gave me enough details to make me go away, but he does not want to talk about it. He is, I don't know if it's scared or angry. It's hard to tell. He was just very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. That's wild though, right? Yeah. Man. Uh, well, good job tracking him down. Well, he pointed me in the right direction, at least too. Uh, so I was able to find a lot of information about these, you know, these crimes that happened in there. And I know how each of them were found, at least. Um, I know that the first body that was found, I had their arms and legs removed and were propped next to a tree. The second, that's the one that was found on their property, on the Lister's property, was uh, found on the banks, missing her liver and spleen. Um, the next was a little boy, and he was last seen in the woods near the Lister's uh, house with a friend, and they'd just been playing in the woods. The friend came home, and uh, Bobby, who was the little kid, did not. Nothing of his was ever found. He just disappeared without a trace. The the fourth was a 14-year-old townie that everyone assumed was a runaway, uh, but she was also never found, so she could have been a runaway, or she could have died out there, or I guess she could have been a runaway and died someplace else, you know, tragically. Uh, the fifth and sixth were hikers that were on a day trip together. Both were found tied uh, together, and they were missing their tongues, and they were two miles west of the Lister's land. Okay, well, uh, that is a lot of gruesomeness late in the episode. My goodness, uh, yeah. I thought this was yeah. going to be uh, a lighter episode. It was definitely not. No. Wow, so this is not the first time that this space has been the scene of violence. I mean, in told 19 weird things that they know of. Well, I so. think that would be a pretty good time to say uh, tickets are now on sale. <laughs> I saw that up on Facebook. All right, um, all right. It's, uh, yeah, come get your uh, slasher on and um, uh, maybe survive the night. Man, oh man. Uh, in all honesty, I think we're running low on time for this episode. But I'm, we're going to talk off air, and I want to know who this cop is because I like he's the guy. I want to talk to that guy, right? I, I mean, that guy, I would love to talk to that guy more, but he made it very clear that that's a no go. But I do have someone that I think might be just as good. So I next so episode I, is this yes. next episode? Next episode. All right, next let's episode. go. I have an interview scheduled with Charles, who was the EMT that was first on the scene. At the time, he was 19 years old. Wait, 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 old. wait. He was first, right? Yes. So does that mean he was Charles in charge? He was Charles in charge of our right. Of All our right. Days okay. And Continue. Our Charles in charge of our wrongs and our rights. A lot of wrongs on this. A episode. lot of wrongs. Not not a lot of rights. Not a lot of rights. Uh, okay, I interrupted. Uh, I'm so that's sorry. That's all right. No, uh, he was 19 at the time. He's 61 now. Um, he has agreed to be interviewed. And I also, and this one is a huge get, I have 
a copy of a recording that was made that night by the crime scene uh, people. And I mean, keep in mind, this is not <laughs> the highest quality recording because it was using equipment from 1979. Uh, but I have a copy of that recording of Charles talking to other EMTs and the firefighters were out there uh, because in Missouri, our firefighters double as, you know, our, our ambulance and EMT people uh, and um, policemen. And I think that maybe this detective that doesn't want a retired detective that doesn't want to talk to me um, is one of the voices that I hear on there. So it is really spooky. Oh, very good. Well, uh, I know I'm excited. I'm excited to hear all this go down. So, uh, yeah, lots to look forward to next episode. Uh, if you enjoyed uh, the podcast, then obviously check us out on uh, all the different podcatchers, everything out there. Um, tell it to a friend. Maybe buy a ticket to this pop-up bar, and uh, maybe you'll meet us there. Who knows? I don't know. Oh, for but, sure. Yeah. Um, until then, uh, keep it spooky, folks, and we'll see you on the next episode. And as always, remember to listen for the newest podcast, which drops every Tuesday. And if you grew up in this time or you know anything about these crimes or have any connection or information, send me an email at anothertruecrimepod at gmail.com. That's anothertruecrimepod at gmail.com. I would love to hear about you. Maybe you have you on the show. Uh, maybe you have some insight that we don't have. Um, we would love to hear from you. 